what Yaakov Avinu should have realized an incredible thing is first since he subdued the angel of Esau Esau is ready to do tshuva first simon second Esau came to kill him what's he kissing him for ah he's kissing me there's a change of heart here something happened he should have realized that Esau is ready to do tshuva because he killed the, he, because he fought his balak and he won but not only that Esau admits on the blessings why is he admitting now he should have seen all these as signs that Esau is about to do tshuva, but he didn't. Now, we don't know why Yaakov didn't, but the Bershom said, you should have, and this, the, 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 uh, the uh, taina against Yaakov was so great that unfortunately it brought tremendous sorrows to Yaakov because Dina was forcibly taken and so on and so forth. But it's interesting, Osna still married Yosef later on. But we see an incredible thing. We see now what the Bersham said. Of course I don't expect you to give your daughter to John Gotti. Of course not. But this man isn't John Gotti anymore. He's about to do tshuva because you just knocked out his angel. And the proof of that is he kissed you and he's not going to kill you. And not only that, he's about to, he said to you, your blessings are yours. In any case, that was the Taruma. So you see incredibly that if you know the hidden story, the answer is very simple. And not only that, we agree with the Rabbanu Shalom. Why Yaakov didn't do that is unknown. Maybe on the level of Yaakov, because who's going to talk about Yaakov? Even though we see clearly it was a sin, but we don't understand Yaakov's cheshben. So we'll put that aside. In any case, we now understand why the Bershom had complaints to Yaakov. Fine. <clears throat> what do we now see? That now Yosef takes over the job of Esau. Aha. Now, I want to tell you something. The brothers knew this. The brothers knew that Yosef had the power to subdue evil and that Yosef was connected to the Sultan himself. Because that's what Esav is. A root soul is connected to the root of the, uh, the root of the satanic temptations itself. They knew that. And therefore they always looked at Yosef special. And that's why Yaakov loved Yosef. Because Yaakov was going to take over the job of a patriarch. That's why he loved Yosef. Not only that, but Yaakov even said, listen, I know someday that he's going to go into the Sadeh. Because just like I had to go to where? Choron. He's got to go to Choron too. Or whichever nation is the residence of the Sultan. Which of course happened to be Egypt. He knew that. Yaakov knew that. Therefore Yaakov said, wait a minute. In order to prepare myself to go into this, this, this den of the Sultan. In the house of Lovan, I've got to learn in Yeshiva. 14 more years. I've got to teach what I know to Yosef. Also, so that's why he taught everything he learned in Shem Ve'eva. He had to teach it to Yosef because Yosef had the same job. That's why he didn't teach anybody else, but he had to teach it to Yosef because Yosef was going to do the exact same thing as Yaakov, which means go into a country and subdue evil. Fine. Now, the brothers knew this, but the, what happened? The brothers took a look at Yosef and they said, wait a minute, what's happening here? Here's a guy that's have dreams that, that's egocentric. It's like, what is this guy? This guy's incredibly arrogant. One, the dreams indicated arrogance on the part of Yosef. Uh, because if this is what he dreams at night, that's probably what he's thinking in the day. So they looked at Yosef that he's falling into incredible arrogance. Not just arrogance, but what's called megalomania. Because he's got, he's got, he's got everybody bound to him, including his parents. That's the first thing they saw. The second thing they see is this guy's combing his hair. That's Taiva. What's he into? What's he calling us here for? He wants to be a pretty boy? What does it mean? 
So they look at him and say, wait a minute, this guy's with the Taiva. And then they see he's coming to, to Yaakov and talking Russian horror about them. And that's Mirmo, that's deception. Who had those three characteristics? Who is a Gaiva? Who is a fraud, a deceiver? And who is a tremendous Baltaiva? Pleasure? Esau. So they said, it's incredible. Yosef is, taught, is turning into another Esau. What was wrong with Esau? Because Esau killed Avram Avinu five years. Because somebody who has the soul of a patriarch can do what? Just like he, he can bring an incredible tikkun, he can do kilkul, he can destroy creation. So the brothers looked at Yosef as another beginning of Esau. You see, that's what they saw him. This is, this is what's called a wannabe Esau. So he said, as a wannabe Esau, we gotta get rid of this guy. Because this guy will destroy the Bria. And that's why the brothers wanted to kill him. Because they saw Yosef, who they knew had the Neshama, like Esau, to fight the Sultan. But they saw him as falling to the Sultan, just like their great uncle, Esau. So they said, we have to get rid of him, or he's going to destroy the creation. The same concept that Yitzhak had, an unbelievable fear. That's why they wanted to kill him. But Yaakov knew that's not the case. So it says, Yaakov Shomas Adova. He observed the matter, right? Because he knew that Yosef had this neshama, that Yosef was a tzaddik, and he's going to go into an incredible land. And therefore, the Boshim made it that the brothers, of course, sold him and he winds up in Egypt. Why didn't Yaakov Avinu know? It's funny. He knew he was going to go to Egypt. But the Boshim made sure that he would think he's dead. Why did the Boshim want to do that? Because the Boshim knew that the only way Klai Yisrael will survive in the exile is if I diminish the merit of the mitzvah of Kibrov Aim of Esau. That's the only way they'll survive. Because the mitzvah of Kibrov Esau is so great that it will call the, cause the Jews unbelievable tsaurus. Therefore, I've got to diminish his merit. How? I've got to punish Yaakov for Kibrov Aim. But how? So the Boshim did an incredible thing. Yaakov knew he was going to go into what's called the Klippo, that Yosef was going to go into a land that was filled with, with, with uh, Yetzirah and so on, temptations. But the Boshim said, he'll go, you know, but you're going to think he's dead because Yosef will be absent from you 22 years, the same way you were absent from your father Yitzchak for 22 years. Midah connected Midah, that was the Kapora, you see. So the incredible, the Boshim concealed what Yaakov originally knew. But he had to conceal through this whole subterfuge and he used the brother's desire to kill. Look how many things the Russian put together. Where Yosef goes to Egypt and does his job, withstands temptations, tremendous. Yaakov doesn't know because Yaakov needs a kapora. So Yaakov is getting a kapora for 22 years, diminishes the merit of Esau, and that's how we survive. And it's interesting that the Chumash says that Yitzhak knew where Yosef was. Why didn't Yitzchak tell Yaakov? He sees his son grieving. He knew Baruch HaKodesh that Yosef was in Egypt. So why didn't he tell his son? Because Yitzchak knew that Yaakov needed the kapora. So he's not going to tell his son. As much as I heard him, he knew he needed the kapora for the sake of the Jewish nation. I'm not telling Yaakov. So Yaakov is sitting in Avelus. He's got his kapora. And Yosef goes to do his job. How the Rebunshim arranges this is absolutely astounding. And nobody knows what's going on. What happens to the Yosef? Yosef goes to Egypt. What's the job of Yosef? To withstand the, the, the temptations like Esau. <clears throat> Where is the great Nisoyan that Yosef had? Now clearly, a slave in Egypt was Hefka. He could do whatever he wanted. And all kinds of available tithes because he was a slave. 
And not only that, he was the head of Fatifa's um, uh, household, and the Egyptians were what's called Shtufi Zima. They were tremendously into Zima, Arias, and all kinds of terrible things. Clearly, as the head of the household of, Fatifa's, of Fatifa, he could have done anything he wants. Therefore, what devotion does, and that's good. Why? Because Yosef has to be tempted at the level of Esau. And therefore, he has all these temptations in that house. Now, what happens? The Bosham is now about to give him the ultimate test for Tifa's wife. Why is this the ultimate test? I had said before that many men are tempted this way. Fine, it's a, it's, there's no question it's an act of Tzidkus. But what is this act that Yosef did that because of that we call him Yosef Atzadik? Listen to what the Torah does and I will show you in the narrative itself it alludes to the hidden story. <clears throat> Yosef is in the house, right? Fine. And Fatifa goes, he goes away because he's got his job to do. So the Torah says, Yosef and Yosef comes to the house to do his job. The Torah is telling us is that I'm about to give Yosef the test of Esau, which is a Yetzirah, which is second to none. It is what's called a totally abnormal drive for a woman, which is absolutely mind-boggling because the sudden is creating the drive, not as underling. Because that's the temptations of Esau. Yosef took over the job, he's going to have a drive which is unbelievable. Where do we see this? Take a look at how the Torah tells us. It says, Vayova Yosef, uh, he goes to the, the house, Yosef goes to the house, Lasis Melachtoi, to do his work. Now the normal meaning is to do his work because he was head of the household. But mystically it means to do the work of Esau. And then it says, the Torah says, listen to this. It says, V'ein ish, and there was no man, may ancha bias from the household, shamba boyas, there in the house. That's what it says. And there was no man from the household in the house. That's redundant. It should have said this, V'ein ish, shamba boyas, and there was no man in the house. What do you mean there was no man of the household? Uh, the household, there in the house. Leave out the world in the, from the household. There was no man in the house. But listen to the way the Torah is saying. Now, follow this. The Torah says, the ain't ish, and there was no man from the household in the house. Yes? That means there was no man from the household. What's the implication? But there was another man. There was another man. It wasn't the household man. But there was another man. If the Torah wanted to tell you there was no man, it would have said, and there was no man there in the house. But it doesn't. It says, and there was no man of the household in the house. The implication is there was another man. Who was that man? Vayeovek ish imoy. And there was a man that fought with Yaakov. Who was that? The Sultan. The Torah tells you that the Sultan was in the house. That the job that Yaakov, that Yosef is about to do is at the level of a sudden's temptation. Why? Because that is the job that he has to do. <clears throat> so the Torah actually alludes to the story, the hidden story, mystically. By telling you that they, there was no man of the household there, but there was another man. Which man? That man that fought with Jacob, Yaakov, by Yehovah Ishimoy, and they fought a man who he knows the who? Sarish and Esau, who we know is the angel of Esau, Satan himself. So the Torah actually tells you that you are now looking at the equivalent of Yaakov fighting the Malach in terms of the incredible Nisoyen, and you are looking at the equivalent of the job of Esau. 
This is a big moment that Yosef has to win in order to destroy Esau. Does Yosef do it? Yes. He would stand the temptation, but it wasn't a normal temptation. It was an abnormal drive, which he withstood. Therefore, the Torah says, you did the job of Esau, and because of that, he's called Yosef HaTzadik. That was the job. But what happens, of course, of course, he is taken and thrown into prison to go even further into the dungeon. Now, Yosef, of course, remains and so on in prison. Fine. Now, let's take a look. All of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh's got a dream, right? He needs an interpreter, correct? Who's he going to interpret? Well, the wine guy tells him, hey, I, I, you know, he tells him the story, the, the interpreting the dream and so on, and that there's a guy in prison, he's great at interpreting dreams. Fine. He can interpret your dream. And Pare knew that nobody was interpreting because it says he dreamt not only the dream but the interpretation also. So he couldn't fool him with all the interpretations and so on. So Pare decides to call Yosef. So in one day, Yosef goes from the lowest social class in Egypt, which is a prisoner, to the highest social class, which is, the, which is standing in front of Pharaoh. Now, he says to him, he tells him the dream and Yusuf interprets it. What's the meaning? Before we understand this, who or what caused the dreams of Parai? Now, if I ask you, how did Yusuf get out of prison? What would you answer me? You say, boy, was he lucky that he dreamt, right? That, would, that there was going to be a famine. God revealed the concept that there was going to be a famine into Parai in, in, in the form of a dream. And Yusuf had the incredible ability to interpret it. Correct? What incredible luck how he got out of prison. But the question is, why was there going to be a famine? Now take a look what the story is and how a tzaddik gets out of prison. Two ways to get out of prison. You can bribe the jailer. You can petition the court. Tzaddikim don't need that. Here's what a tzaddik does. And you begin to understand how Yosef did it. <clears throat> what Yosef does, wherein lies the power of Egypt? The answer is that's Sutton. Because a sultan, remember I said that if a person withstands the, the temptations of the sultan, then the divine energies goes to that person. It weakens the sultan, and the sultan becomes very weak. So his tentacles become weak, the zoyamor, and all of a sudden the nation becomes very weak. When Yosef withstood all the temptations, what happens is he took back all the holiness away from the sultan, back to the side of holiness. So the sultan is what? The sultan is starving. The sultan has nothing to eat. If the sultan is starving, it means he's weak. If the sultan is starving, that means the nation that he represents is also starving. That's the famine. Yosef caused the famine. Incredible, isn't it? Because when a tzaddik withstands Nisoyan temptations, he depletes the energy of the sultan. And since the nation is empowered by the sultan, if the sultan is depleted, so is Egypt. If the sultan starves, so does, the, so does the, the, uh, the nation of Egypt. And they starve in the same way that the sultan does, which is in the concept of the seven spheres. Therefore, there are seven years of famine. In any case, therefore, Yosef created a famine. That famine then, of course, comes to Pare. And Pare has the dream. Now, if that's the case, I ask you a question. Because he interpreted the dream, he becomes the Grand Vizier? That's ridiculous. He should, should have just paid him his fee, and that's the end of it. But what do you make him Grand Vizier for? 
Because I will tell you a very important concept. If you want to understand where is the balance between these divine energies, the Kedusha, is it in the hands of Jews or is it in the hands of the Satan? What do you look at? You look here to see the relationship between Klai Yisrael and the Umar Sa'ilam and the nations of the world. When, when Yosef withstood the temptations for Tifa's wife and everything else, what he did is he starved the Satan before Egypt starved. Pharaoh dreamt about the upcoming starvation so Pharaoh calls the very man that did it, unknowing, right? He calls Yosef. Yosef is standing in front of Pharaoh. But wait a minute. In the heavens, what is the relationship between the Satan and Klai Israel? The answer is that almost all the Kedusha is back in the hands of the Jews. If that's the case, then how can a Jew be a slave to Parai? The Jew must equal the level of Kedusha in the hands of the Jews. Therefore, Yosef must be elevated right on the Paroi because the Kedusha is almost all in the hands of Klai Israel. You see, it's an incredible thing. Therefore, Paroi had no choice. He had to make him Grand Vizier because Yosef's standing in heaven is right under the Sultan. That's how close he is to bringing them down. Therefore, Paroi has no choice but to elevate Yosef as the Grand Vizier. Imagine that, a tzaddik gets himself out of prison, but not only get that, he gets himself an incredible job. Do you imagine? Because of the nisoyin that he does, because a tzaddik doesn't interface with the world at this level, he interfaces with up there. And if you interface and you disturb the balances up there, automatically this world must reflect the standing of Christ's role, or the standing or the balance of the kedusha up there. Therefore, Yosef is elevated. In fact, even Pari said that. Is there anybody, Asher Ruach Elohim boy? Is there anybody like you that the Spirit of God is not in him? Ruach Elohim, by the way, means Mashiach. Because in the beginning of the Torah it says, The Ruach Elohim Rachefes Apneamoyam. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Who is the Spirit of God? So the Balaturim says, that the, the gematria of Ruach Elohim Rachefes is the gematria Zuhi, Zuhi Ruchoi Shal Melech HaMoshiach. It's the same gematria. So Pare calls him Ruach Elohim. Is there anybody in which the Spirit of God, uh, that, uh, is there, that a person, is there anybody else that has this kind of spirit than you? He's actually saying to Yosef that you have this spirit. But he doesn't even realize what he's saying. So Yosef is out of prison. Fine. Now Yosef does not tell his father. Why? Because he knows his father needs a kapora of kibbutz over aim. Okay, great. What happens now? And I'm finished very shortly. What happens now? Yaakov, Yosef, finally after all the years, he goes and tells, and he has the whole story with the sons and Binyamin. He takes Binyamin and whatever. He finally reveals himself to his brothers. And he says, I need Yosef, which by the way is what the Mashiach will do, because nobody knows who the Mashiach is. He looks like some grand vizier or whatever. And all of a sudden the Mashiach says to Klai Israel, I need Yosef, I'm the Mashiach. And they all look at him, huh? It's incredible. That's the remiss how the Mashiach reveals himself to Klai Israel, which tells us that the Mashiach is a person, he's the last guy you expect to be the Mashiach. Because the way Yosef revealed himself is the way Mashiach ben Yosef will reveal himself. That was an interesting aside. In any case, uh, so all of a sudden, he, he sends to Yaakov, but what does he send them? 
So Yosef, it says that Yosef, he, Yosef uh, uh, prepared the chariot. Yosef himself prepared the chariot that would go to Yaakov. Why did he prepare the chariot? Because Yosef knew that the whole reason why Yaakov was punished because he had to have a kapora, an atonement, for keeping over aim. So he wasn't going to do that again. So what he did is he himself prepared the chariot, even though he's the grand vizier, as keeping over aim. What happens? Then all of a sudden they go to tell Yaakov, and Yaakov realizes an incredible thing. Yosef lives... That is absolutely unbelievable. Oy Yosef Chai, which is a very important concept because the Mashiach ben Yosef will live and won't die, as it says in the Gemara. In any case, so Yaakov Vinu uh, 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 says, Oy Yosef Chai, my son lives, and therefore I want to go and see him. So Yaakov Avinu now goes to Yosef. And there's a very interesting message. It says when Yaakov Vinu saw Yosef, right, Yosef broke out with the crying. Could you imagine the love that they had between each other. So Yosef is crying. <clears throat> and Yaakov wasn't crying. Because it says, and, and, and Yosef was crying. What was Yaakov doing? So the Medrash says, he was saying Kriya Shema. He was saying Shema Yisrael. So here, imagine the scene. Father and son get together after 22 years. But it wasn't just a relationship. You could imagine what Yaakov Avinu felt toward Yosef. Okay? <clears throat> and Yosef is crying, and, and his father is reciting Kriya Shema. What a strange sight here. Why was he crying? And why was he saying Krishma? So the fact that Yosef is crying, we can understand. That's whatever what, what that's that's normal reaction. Why wasn't Yaakov crying? And the answer is the Bali Musa give this interpretation. Because Yaakov had an unbelievable simcha, joy, and he wanted to use this joy for God's sake. So he would use this joy in reciting Krishma. What a level of Krishma. Could you imagine saying Kriyashma with an unbelievable level of joy? Fine, that's the Bali Musa. However, the Pshat you can learn differently. What is the Pshat, not the Musa of the story? Why was Yaakov Avinu saying Kriyashma? And this, in the end, is a very important lesson to all of us. Yaakov Avinu, when he saw Yosef, was astonished. <clears throat> what was his astonishment? He said, This is incredible. I thought that Yosef was dead, so I was sitting at Vedas for all these years. I was a mourner, right? Then you had the story of Yehud and Tamar, that was the fall of Yehuda. Then all of a sudden Shimon is gone and Binyamin is gone, and Yosef is killed. I thought I was a goner. I thought everything, that the whole concept of Kainz will diminished, and I thought that I would never live to see my family intact. What do I see? Not only is Yosef is alive, Binyamin is back, Shimon is back, and I'm not a mourner because he's alive, Every, and Yehuda is here, and he's setting up a yeshiva. Could you imagine that literally ya ya Yaakov saw, it's incredible that my depression and despair has gone from the depths to the unbelievable pinnacle of Simcha. Who caused this? What kind of a being can fool all of us for me, for Yehuda, for Benjamin, Shimon, and Yosef. And not only that, not only fool all of us, but in the reason for his fooling, as none of us should know, because each of us have to do their own individual jobs. And the whole thing comes out to an unbelievable tikkun, because Yosef restored the Kiddusha back in the hands of Christ's role, and that's why he's the Grand Vizier. 
So he realized an incredible thing, that God not only is the only being that exists, one, that what's called Yichud Mitzvusoy, that the Rebbe is the only being that is, we all emanate. And not only is the Rebbe Shem Yichud Shlitosoy, that the Rebbe is the only Koyach in the Bria, he's the only one that can do anything, he's the only cause, but the also Yichud Hanhagosoy, that everything that happens in creation can only move if God said, I want this to move. So he realized the absolute supremacy and control that God has over every aspect of creation. That God can fool everybody, everybody, yet in the fooling and, and make everybody be utterly despaired. Yet in the despair and the darkness is the very gu'ula itself. Only the version can do that. So he says, listen, he says, Shema Yisrael, hero Israel, Hashem Lokeinu, the Lord our God, Hashem Echod, God is one. He is the absolute one in terms of his being, in terms of his cause, his control, his cause, and in terms of his directorship. That's what he said. In other words, at the moment he saw Yosef, he realized an incredible hasoga, because it fell into place that I'm back with all my family and the whole reason why God concealed all of us I had to do Kibbutz of Aim, a Kapara Yusuf had to remove the, the Kedusha from Egypt each one had to do their own thing and none of us knew talk about the abilities of God himself and he said Shema Yisrael that devotion is one that the entire direction of creation is only because of Yisrael and this is what Yaakov Avinu and what statement encapsulates that concept Shema Yisrael Echod so of course Yosef was crying because of course that's the emotion but Yaakov Vinu being who he was he saw the incredible Musa Haskell of this that was so unbelievable that it just removed it subdued the crying into an unbelievable concept and Asoga and he, he voiced Asoga because I see the unbelievable Yichud Hanhogosoy of God. And that's why he was saying Shema. What do we see all this? We see very interesting. We have come to the end of the story. Right? We have seen an incredible thing. It's a different story that we learn all the time. Could you imagine? How many years have you been learning gracious? This is a completely different story. It's about a story of who Adam is and who Avram is. The whole concept of Mashiach ben Dovid ben Yosef. The concept that Jews have two tikkun processes. And the whole concept of who Esav is as a failed of. And then there's a contingency plan where Yaakov has to take it over. And he can't do the whole thing so he gives it over to Yosef. And it's a story of what the real, what the Torah describes as the test of the angel that Yaakov fought with the Malach is really the test of Yaakov, the supreme test, and the test of Yosef with the Fatifah's life. This is a different story. What do we see? That the Chumash is an incredible Sefer. And only God can write it. You can learn the Chumash on one level, and that's kids. Five-year-old kid can learn Chumash. A 15-year-old can learn Chumash at a different level. And then, of course, on Adam Choshev can learn it, on God can learn it, on Makubo can learn it, it doesn't make a difference. Each different, the chum, and the incredible thing is how, how can God use the same narrative to describe every level? Because the words don't change, yet the narrative reveals every single level. As I showed you, by, and there was no man of the household there, but there was another man. 
in that two words, Anshabais reveals the whole story or the whole significance of the story of Fatifa's wife and Yosef. In any case, this is what we see about the Chumash. That's this incredible multi-layered <coughs> Hasogas and stories. And the second thing I want to leave you with is the Kasog of Yaakov Avino. Could you imagine what he understood? Don't worry, of course he was sitting in despair. Imagine a man 22 years thinks his son is dead. And if his son is dead, there's no Yudbe Shvatim. There's no 12 tribes. And if there's no 12 tribes, Yaakov Avinu cannot be enough. Because in order for him to be a patriarch, the level, he must have 12 tribes. There's no 12 tribes. So Yaakov Avinu thought Yosef was dead. He isn't the patriarch. Therefore, never get Ulam Habo, which is what, the, the, what, what says, I thought I saw I was lost. Everything was gone. Everything was lost. And in the end, not only was nothing lost, it had actually did the tikkun and brung the gula. So therefore we see, we take a look around us, this Oslo, the insanity called Oslo, right? We see the terrible matzav in Israel. So we ask the Roshim, where is God? How could the Roshim have abandoned us, right? <clears throat> to the Arabs, he has abandoned us to the government, which have no comprehension of what is in front of them, that the Arabs mean to destroy the Jews, because that's their theological necessity. And they'll never change, because peace is nothing more than the first stage of war. How can we be subject to so many people? How can clients will have so many sorrows and so on? So many people die, whether it be here in America, right? And what do we all do? We sit in darkness and we despair, and we say that the Rebbe has abandoned us. So therefore, I tell you the message of Yaakov. That the entire thing we see is nothing more than the messianic process. Except it must go through darkness in order to happen. Just like Yaakov and all the people, Yosef, he thought he was finished because he was a slave. How in the world does a slave in Egypt ever get out of prison? Let alone become a grand vizier. Everybody was in the dumps. Yet it was the dumps that got him out that ultimately did the gula. This is what we have to understand. That's a very important lesson. So therefore, from the, this concept, I, I have sort of like spoken about the hidden story of Bracious from its beginning to its end. I have left out a great deal of information. Let me tell you that. Because the real, this whole story is 17 cassettes long. I left out a lot of stuff. But the fundamental ideas are here and those ideas are sufficient in order to see the, the entire panorama of the story. And that's very important, that Chumash is an incredible safer. And the second concept is, let's be like Yaakov Vinu, that, that in truth, all that which goes on, ultimately, is for the sake of Klai Israel, and ultimately, when the time comes, all of it, and guess what? All of us will say, at that point, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Thank you.